Hey, hey, it's that time of the week, the end of the work week. We're loving this, and it's time again for the Disability Law Show. So uh, tuck in and listen up. If you want to contribute to the show anytime, here is how you do it. Email is the best, help at disabilityrights.ca, help at disabilityrights.ca. If you want to reach uh, Albert or Savannah or their team anytime, they're always encouraging you to reach out by phone toll-free, obviously, one 855 you also have the option of going here, mydisabilityquestions.com. That is a beauty because you can do that on your smartphone, your tablet, your desktop, whatever you got. It's fully anonymous. It's absolutely free. And the database of previously asked questions, searchable. That's how the algorithm works. Again, mydisabilityquestions.com. The emails, guys, already piling in. We'll get to them here in a moment. But we always start off with the case of the day. Savannah, what do you got, my brother? Well, John, I mean, this has been a, a week uh, of winter, as everybody knows, around the GTA and uh, really across Ontario. And it's not going to subside, I don't think. We're going to have ups and downs, but we're going to have the snow, we're going to have the ice. And of course, as lawyers that deal in this area of law, Albert and I speak with people all the time who are injured because of slip and falls, because people haven't done what they're supposed to, contracting companies, winter maintenance uh, companies, uh, people who own parking lots, the city, city sidewalks. You know, there's a lot of stuff people need to know and understand about their legal rights when it comes to slip and falls. And, of course, car accidents. We deal with those all the time, too, in addition to long-term disability. So there's a lot to pack in in these uh, 30 minutes or, or, or less. So let's get to it. Let me tell you about this interesting call I had this week. Uh, it, it was a gentleman uh, in his late 30s. Uh, he, he's an IT professional. And uh, he actually was visiting a friend of his in a condo building uh, just in one of the suburbs of the GTA uh, up north. Uh, and uh, he slipped and fell on his way to his car after he visited his friend. And uh, he, he broke his left knee. Uh, it, was a, it was a fairly significant injury. He also got some other bruises. Uh, he had a partial tear of his left shoulder as well. I mean, he, it, was, it was a number that he did there. Uh, and, and the interesting thing is that there are outside cameras, so this was all captured on camera. Now, this is private property, um, and, uh, you know, we, he, he called me to understand what his rights are. He was in the hospital. He had surgery. Uh, there's going to be issues now with his knee. Now, the guy was a bit overweight before. He had some health issues, but overall, he was functioning well. He was working mm -hmm. full time. He was even playing squash twice a week. Uh, you know, so he was very mobile. Uh, he was very, very active. And this is going to change everything for him, at least for the foreseeable future. Who knows what the future holds in general? But I can tell you, in my experience, people who have uh, you know broken legs uh, and then have surgeries with metal hardware insertion, like screws and things like that, they're going to have problems in the future. I've spoken to enough orthopedic surgeons during my career to know that these are issues that are going to be with him for the long haul. And so he asked me, well, what can I do about this? And so we have the camera footage, which we've requested now from the building, and we put him on notice. And this is what people need to understand, that it's not as simple as going after whoever owned or controlled the property that you fell. Uh, it's not just the owners of the property. It's who else is responsible. There may be other entities. And what happens typically with condo buildings or uh, um malls or, or any of those kinds of, of larger type of areas and even smaller ones, even individual people like you and me, John, you hire often companies that come and take care of uh, winter maintenance, right? Yep. They shovel the snow, they have trucks, whatever, uh, they, they salt the area. 
And some of these companies, these third-party contractors, are good, and some of them are not. Surprise, surprise. It's just like any profession, right? You have those who know what they're doing, and, and they keep records, etc., and those that do not. Uh, and I can tell you that from my understanding from the gentleman who called me, because he then, of course, he spoke to his friend that he was visiting in this building, is that winter maintenance has been a specific problem for this condo building for the last couple of years ever since, or three years even, you know, with COVID and everything that happened, they've had difficult time getting the right people to, to properly maintain the area. And they've had other falls there. Uh, and, and the day of that this happened, um, there was in fact a, a problem. In other words, for a few days, that winter maintenance contractor was AWOL. The condo building didn't know what to do. And they even had some of their own kind of people that work there, uh, uh, you know, sort of, uh, shovel some of the snow and, and put some salt, but nothing like what a professional would do. And so this was an ongoing issue. And the reason why this is important is because this is going to go into the analysis of liability. Who's at fault here? You know, the argument is that our the guy who called me ought to have been looking where he was walking. Well, he was looking where he was walking, but there was a lot of black ice as well. And the injuries he suffered, I can tell you, those are those are serious injuries. And from a monetary standpoint, you're going to be looking at significant compensation for him. So I'll give you an example. A, a broken leg, a broken tibia is an example. With surgery, insertion of metal hardware, problems in the future, you could be looking at pain and suffering damages here that this guy's owed of maybe seventy, eighty, or $90,000. Wow. Maybe he's unable to work now for a few weeks or a few months. If this guy earns $100,000 a year as an IT professional, and he's unable to work, let's say for the next six months, I'm just throwing out the number, that's $50,000 right there. What if he's going to have issues into the future working? Maybe he can go back to work, but maybe he can't do everything he could before. So maybe he can earn now 90% of his pre-accident income for the next five years. Do the math, right? This all adds up. What if he needs physiotherapy and rehabilitation? Phys uh, physio, massage, acupuncture, whatever else. Maybe he doesn't have benefits through work. Who's going to pay for that? Well, we're going to go after the insurance company of whoever was responsible. It could be the condo building. It could be the winter maintenance contractor. It could be other entities. So, John, what I'm trying to say here is that if you suffer the slip and fall and you've injured yourself or you know someone in that situation, you need to get legal advice now because there are certain time limitations for example, if you slip and fall on a city sidewalk, you have 10 days to notify the city clerk of all the particulars of what happened and the fact that you're intending to actually claim uh, uh, legal compensation. So really, really important to understand. And that's why we tell people, call us, email us. It doesn't cost anything to get this advice. At least be armed with this information. And if you can't do it, get a friend or a family member to reach out to us to get this information. We will speak with you, we will meet with you, whatever you need in order to get the information you need to understand what compensation is available to you for these kinds of injuries. Guys, again, we always encourage you to reach out, simple phone call, get that conversation happening with uh, Savannah or Albert or their team. As always, one 855 821 want to get to an email here, a quick one, uh, Albert, from, from Amber. says, I've been on LTD for the last one and a half years after my third neck surgery and have nerve pain and cannot work. The insurance company is sending me for an FCE next week. What should I do? What do you think, pal? Well, Amber, thank you very much for writing in. I think you're very, very smart to start thinking about the implications of your insurance company sending you to a functional capacity evaluation. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we see these insurance companies start thinking about this or sending people to these types of evaluations when they want to dot their I's and cross their T's. And what I mean by that is 
ultimately they want to be able to prove that you no longer meet the test for disability. And so oftentimes they'll send you to one of their hired guns, people that they frequently use, who's going to provide an opinion that ultimately helps them. And oftentimes we see insurance companies start thinking about this during what we call the change of definition. And this is probably something that you've heard of if you listen to our show a lot. And to remind our listeners, under most standard disability policies, you're entitled to benefits for the first two years if you can't do the tasks of your job. After that two-year period, then under most standard policies, it's a question of whether or not you can work in any job for which you're reasonably trained, educated, or suited. So probably what's happening, Amber, is the insurance company is seeing that the two-year mark is coming up, and they're opportunistically trying to use this as an opportunity to, to try and suggest that there is a different type of job that you can do. So what should you do? I mean, there's lots to know here uh, for your upcoming FTE. I'd recommend you give me a call. More than happy to speak with you quick. Uh, quick, it'd be free of charge and discuss how best to prepare. This is a, the type of call that we frequently do with, uh, with some of our listeners or people who call in. Uh, but generally speaking, I mean, you want to take the process seriously. I'd ask the insurance company how long the FCE is going to be, with whom it's going to be, and during what time. Then, of course, when you get there, you want to make sure that you're on time, uh, dress, dress nicely, look like you're taking the process seriously. I don't want you to fake any injuries or, or, or embellish anything. Uh, generally speaking, from the time that you get there to the time that you leave, there's going to be eyes on you. So you want to make sure that you don't all of a sudden walk into this uh, into this medical office with a limp that you didn't have before. That's obviously not going to look good for you. Uh, when 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 they ask you questions, you want to make sure that you're answering them truthfully and to the best of your ability. And there's a number of different tactics that I can sort of employ you with if you actually do give me a shout uh, to help you help you be better prepared for when they do actually start asking you these questions. But generally speaking, as long as you're uh, making sure that you're stating all of your injuries and all of the all of the ways that this uh, limits you both in the workplace but also at home. You're, you're generally going to be fine uh, as long as you're telling the truth and you're not over embellishing anything. Otherwise, give me a shout and uh, we, we can get you prepared for this. So, man, anything to add? Listen, I think you covered everything really, really well. And uh, one of the websites we've created. Uh, a while back, and John, I think you 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 mentioned this uh, is ltdfaq.ca, mm -hmm. ltdfaq, ltdfrequentlyaskedquestions.ca. Much of what Albert has said here is actually in there because we've created it together, our team, myself, Albert, and other people on the team, to give people another source of information where you can go download these really short memos that really talk about specific things like these IMEs, these medical assessments or other types of assessments like the FCE. And, and Albert's right, you need to be prepared. Do not panic. We are here for you. Whatever happens, we're going to help you. So no concerns on that front. You have people in your corner. You have people, experts in your corner that can help you with any issues that comes up with your insurance company. Guys, with that, we'll take a short break and get back into uh, another email. This one I'm going to throw towards you, Savannah, when we, uh, when we get back from that aforementioned break. In the meantime, reaching out to the guys anytime. It is 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. And as Savannah mentioned, quick, easy to read, non-legalese notations and education about LTD, LTD, FAQ.ca. You want to check that out. We'll continue with the Disability Law Show. Stand by.
Hey, hey, welcome back. Disability Law Show. The weekend is upon you, but uh, we're going to get to another email or two here with the remaining time we have on the show tonight. Simona is up next. want to remind you, you can also contribute to the show anytime. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And that number, call it, use it, 1-855-821-5900. All right, Simone, here we go. says, uh, thanks for your wonderful show, guys. I'm learning a lot and have a question for you. A good friend of mine from work was in an accident last month when a car hit her as she was crossing the road. The visibility outside was very bad because of snow and wind, and she was knocked down pretty badly. A few passers-by witnessed the accident and called 911. The ambulance took her to the hospital. She broke her left ankle and tore her right shoulder and is obviously traumatized by this. She hasn't contacted any lawyers yet because a friend of hers told her that in Ontario there is no point trying to get any compensation when a pedestrian is hit by a car. Is that true? No, it's not. And Simona, you're a very good friend, obviously, for contacting us. Uh, no, let's dispel some myths here. Uh, this is very important to understand. In fact, if you are a pedestrian and you're hit by a car, you are arguably in a better position from a legal standpoint to pursue compensation than someone who was in another car and got hit by, by a car. And the reason I'm saying this is, is as follows. Um, when you have a multi-car collision, let's say you have two cars, one hits the other, the person who got hit and got injured has to prove that whoever hit them was responsible for the accident. They have liability. Now, if it's a rear-end collision, it's a no-brainer, right? The person who hit you from behind is most likely at fault. But what if it's a left-turn situation? You know, one person says you, you went on a red light. The other person says, no, it was yellow. There could be an argument. But the person who's pursuing compensation has the onus they are the ones that have to prove at law that the other side was at fault in order to get compensation. And we do this all the time, not a big deal. When you're dealing with a pedestrian, the way the law works in Ontario is that it's a reverse onus in favor of the pedestrian. What that means is that, Simona, your friend is presumed not to be at fault. The driver is presumed to be at fault. It's just the way the law is. That means that your friend is starting from a position of strength from a legal compensation standpoint. Now, your friend is going to be entitled to accident benefits, most likely if she doesn't have her own auto insurance from the insurance company of whoever hit her. And we're talking about uh, uh, things like um, uh, uh, income replacement benefits if she's unable to work after the first week. We're talking about uh, physiotherapy, massage, other types of rehabilitation expenses. Uh, and, and that could be in the tens of thousands of dollars. And that's just for those kinds of things. But, you know, she broke her ankle, left ankle, tore her shoulder. I can tell you, again, from my experience doing this for almost 20 years, her pain and suffering damages here alone could exceed $100,000. Now, add to this, if in fact she's unable to work or has difficulty working in the future or has complications with her mobility, I don't know how old she is. I mean, John, imagine if Simona's friend is, let's say, I don't know, 65 years old as an example, mm -hmm. and she was mobile before this accident. Now she broke her ankle, tore her shoulder. What's going to be her situation now going forward? Uh, maybe she's going to need a wheelchair. Maybe she's going to need a walker for the rest of her life. Maybe she's not going to be able to live by herself now. Maybe she has to go into a home or has a family member stop working or reduce their hours to take care of her. All of this means that she's entitled to this compensation. The family members could be entitled to compensation, and it could be in the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that she's entitled to from the insurance company of the car that hit her. So, Simona, the friend is completely wrong 
about the fact that in Ontario there is no point trying to get compensation. Now, every, ca every case is different, uh, and, and there are some legal hoops that we have to get through, but that's okay. That's what we do. That's what Albert and I do, the rest of our team. That's what we do. And here's the other thing. We used to work for insurance companies in the past. Right? I started my career, John, working and defending insurance companies in these kinds of situations, in car accidents, slip and falls. So I know how this works from the other side, from the insurance company's perspective, which means that I can tell you, Simona and your friend, if your friend has a case. I can tell her the strengths of her case, the weaknesses of her case. I can tell her if it makes sense to proceed or not to proceed, when to proceed, what to expect. All of this is information that your friend is going to need. And here's something to understand, and it's really important. Your friend should not be waiting. A lot of people, John, they wait. They want to see what happens. There, there is a limitation. We have limitation periods here in Canada. And in Ontario, it's two years from the date of the accident. And Simona, if your friend waits too long, she could miss out on, those limita on that limitation period. Also, there are certain limitation periods and notice provisions that have to be sent out to the relevant insurance companies. In this case, it's the insurance company of whoever hit her. Again, we do this for, this, for the people, right? We're, we're not expecting Simona's friend to know how to do this. Uh, clearly, she's focused on her health right now and trying to get better. It's traumatic, obviously, to be in an accident like this. By the way, there's going to be psychological issues that arise from this as well. Right? A lot of people who are hit by cars or involved in car accidents have fears at that point of uh, driving or, or you know, any other issues that arise psychologically because of these kinds of injuries and the trauma of the accident. So again, we can explain to Simona's friend in detail what she can do, when she needs to do it, what we can do to help her, and then she makes a decision. Then it's up to her. She can take her time. We're not pressing. We're not pressuring anyone to do anything. We're just here to give out this information. And if people need our help, we are here to help them across Ontario. Simona, nicely done. You've got the email mastered, of course. Here's that phone number to follow up, which is always encouraged. It's one 821 5,900. I think we got time for Nima. Another email says, guys, I'm 52 and have nerve damage uh, Nerve damage from my back surgery uh, after an accident. I can't work according to my surgeon, but my insurance company says that I should be able to do some other work. They paid me for two years, but the payment stopped last week. I've worked on the production line all my life and haven't finished high school. I have difficulty standing and sitting. I don't know what to do. Nima, thanks for writing in. Absolutely. You should, you should be disputing this. You should give us a call. Once again, this is a prime example of insurance companies being opportunistic and cutting people off at the change of definition. And I mean, even it, within this definition, it's supposed to be, <clears throat> it's supposed to be where, where an insurance company has to prove that there is a job that you can do that is commensurate with your training, education and experience. And oftentimes when I question insurance companies, they haven't even done this analysis. They don't know what a person's work history is. They don't know what they're capable of doing. Oftentimes they don't even have any functional assessments done. And I'm not sure if that's what's happened in this case, but it sounds like it is. Oftentimes they, they just write these boilerplate denials and they just terminate people's benefits at that two year mark. And if that's what's happening here and there isn't a job that you can do, obviously you have the support of your of your surgeon obviously you have difficulties standing and sitting and usually when there are difficulties in both it becomes tough to find a different type of job that you can do you've done production all of your life and that's probably most of what you know you know how to do so finding a job that's going to pay you something similar 
to what you were making is probably next to near impossible. So given this, you absolutely should be disputing it. It's great that you have the support of your surgeon. I would make sure that you continue to go and do whatever treatment that your doctors are telling you to do. And absolutely, you should give us a call and fight this right away. We can definitely help. This is exactly the type of cases that we do. Savannah, what do you think, brother? Yeah, I agree with Albert. And one of the things that we find a lot is that insurance companies, they really try or they start gearing up for cutting people off before the two-year mark. Uh, and that can be after one year, it could be after a year and a half. And typically, when people contact us with concerns, you know, when their spidey sense is starting to tingle, it's because insurance companies are making moves. They ask you to be seen by a certain uh, uh, expert of theirs or professional that is going to be assessing you, or they're asking you about what is your doctor saying about going back to work. They're trying to feel around. Remember, insurance companies do not want to continue paying you beyond the two-year mark. They don't want to pay you in general. But they find a lot of times that if they cut people off at the two-year mark or around that two-year mark, they find that a lot of people just simply accept it. They either just don't challenge them or they engage in this appeal process, you know, that we've talked about this on this show quite a lot. And in terms of this appeal process, of course, you know, essentially it's a maze, it's a labyrinth. They keep you under control by telling you to appeal. You appeal, they deny you after a few months. Then they tell you you can appeal again if you give us more information, etc., etc., at some point, again, the whole point here is that people end up giving up. People feel like there is no way to challenge these insurance companies. There is no way to force them to pay. I am telling you unequivocally, again, as someone who worked for insurance companies in the past, it is a mirage. Insurance companies understand and know that they're going to have to pay. All these claims, when people reach out to us, just like Albert said here, at the two-year marks, if you cannot earn commensurate income, if you cannot perform the essential tasks of another occupation for which you're suited for, that's the underline here, suited for, they have to continue paying you beyond the two-year mark. But they like it when people don't understand that or don't know what their rights are, because at that point, people simply accept whatever the insurance company says as gospel. It's not gospel. In fact, it's almost always wrong. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand and the, what the way to combat this is, again, not just to listen to us, but just to read up on this. And this is what we tell people, John, to go on our website. Uh, go on other websites if you want. Just make sure you get the right information from the right sources. But we fight these kinds of claims, and it's not that hard for us. For people, it's hard. For regular people, it's hard because they don't know the law. We know the law. We know how to deal with these insurance companies. So, again, do not hesitate. Give us a call. Email us. Just get in touch with us to get the information you need. At least you'll be armed with that knowledge. And at that point... We're going to even that, that playing field between you and the insurance company. And that is it. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. Enjoy uh, your weekend as it is upon you now. But uh, you can always continue to reach out to Savannah or Albert or the teams. Always ready for a chat and some correspondence. That number one more time, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. And any other questions you have, you can type them into your uh, smartphone too, freely and anonymously at my disabilityquestions.com. We will catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show.